My name is Brandon. I am the pastor of preaching and uh, and vision here, uh, and I want to thank you for not wearing Packers jerseys this morning. Uh, 9.15, rumors littered with them, and as a man who moved from Dallas to come and love you people, I am grateful that you don't make me preach staring at those things, all right? We're going through our Epiphany series. Epiphany uh, is just as the word that means appearing, and so uh, Christmas, Christ appeared, and now um, we are going through a series looking at the life and events of Jesus. So before we dive in, two things. One of them he already kind of touched on, uh, but every year, if you're new to us, every year we do an Advent giving campaign. Advent is the last four Sundays leading up to Christmas, and we we raise money every year for, uh, it could be for building renovations, like this year it could be to start new churches, uh, which is part of what our money was for this year. It could be, uh, it could be for uh, it could be for issues of justice and mercy. It's just something different every year. And this year, uh, we had our goal again to raise $100,000. And by the Lord's grace, we raised, drum roll, no drum roll, all right, $139,965.74. And so, amen. I don't, I don't know who gave 74 cents, but whoever you were, I'm just kidding. Um, which brings us to our building renovation. Uh, starting February the 8th, we won't be gathering here. We'll be gathering uh, at the Heights Church of Christ at 16th and Heights Boulevard. More than likely, don't hold this in stone, but in pencil, more than likely uh, we'll be doing one gathering at 5, at 5 p.m. All right, now I'm going to come back to uh, the building in a little bit. Let's, uh, let's get started. Every year, most of, us, uh, most of us make some kind of New Year's resolution, right? For some of us, it's formal. All right, we've got a spreadsheet, we've got it charted out, we've checked off whenever we fulfill the resolution, um, and the stats would say uh, that only about 8% of you are actually going to follow through on that resolution. So, good morning, all right? For some, and this is me, uh, they're more informal, right? So every year, every year at New Year's, I think the same thing. I think this is the year I'm going to get healthy. I mean, I'm actually going to do it this year. The problem is, I don't really like going to the gym, and so here's what I do. I juice, right? Every January, I just decide, you know what, I'm just going to drink vegetables, and I can not go to the gym, drink vegetables, and somehow now I'm in shape, all right? And that, that is what I do every, and I like juicing. I think juicing is great, but it's, but it's what I do to get healthy every single day. A year. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a deeper look at life. Right? I want us to ask the question of where, whether they're formal or informal, where these, these constant, consistent annual New Year's resolutions come from. I think if we do, uh, if we do, if we take a deeper look into life, we'll find uh, that there is a universal desire for change that sits inside every one of us. Dr. Bill Naus in Psychology Today, this is secular psychologist just looking at the world, not a man with a religious agenda, that's me. He, secular psychologist looking at the world, and he said this, he said, admit it. You want to change something about yourself. You want to assert your opinions, but you keep holding yourself back. You have a smoking habit that you still want to kick. You feel crippled by anxiety and want to feel emotionally fit. You procrastinate too much and want to act more productively. Admit it. You want to change something about yourself. This is, this is a man who's, 
who's looking at the world, looking into our lives, and he knows that there's this instinctive, innate longing for change inside every one of us. And so I, I want to make a statement. I want to make a statement that I know some of you are probably going to disagree with, and let's just, just see where it takes us. And I, and I wrote it down so I'd get it right. The desire for change is one of the most hidden and controlling desires we have. Let me say it again. The desire for change is one of the most hidden and controlling desires we have. It might be uh, discontentment over current life, and it might be hope in the prospect of a better life. But the desire for change is one of the most controlling desires in our lives. And our text today is going to take us on a journey. It's going to take us on a journey into the root of our desire for change, take us right to the heart of our desire for change. It's going to show why it's universal and why it is so uh, controlling. And so as we're going to see, we're going to see three things. We're going to see the need for change, the paradox of change, and the power to change. So the need, paradox, power. Let's look back at our, our text. Mark 1, verse 4. John appeared. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized or being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now to get into this text and to really understand this text and to see it, we, we need to see two things. One, we need to see the background. Right? We need to get into the background. Like what, what's happening? What are these, these Jews, these, these people who are coming down and being baptized in the Jordan, what's in the backdrop of their minds while it's happening? And then the second thing is that we need to see and get into the heart of John. And so the background, let's talk the background. The 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 the, the Jordan River, um, throughout the narrative of the Old Testament, it's really woven throughout at different points along the way. But I think that if, uh, give, given the event, given what's happening, given that they're being baptized in the Jordan, I think that in the backdrop of their minds was, was this one event that they would have been narrowed down into. And it's this event in 2 Kings 5 where um, Naaman, who's the, the commander of the Syrian army, he, he's got leprosy. And leprosy in those days, it, it represented... Uh, divine punishment, uh, and a spiritual uncleanness, right? So you are ritually unclean, and you are sitting under a divine judgment. And um, it's a physical condition that represents a spiritual reality. And Naaman, uh, he goes to the prophet Elisha, and he's, he's searching for healing. He goes to him and, and just says, I, I want to be healed. Elisha says this to him. He says, you got you to go down to the River Jordan. You got to go and you got to get in the Jordan. And then listen to 2 Kings 5, 14. It says, so he went and went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And, listen, and he was clean. So these Jews coming and being baptized in the Jordan, they were, they're being baptized into a spiritual cleansing. They're being baptized into a spiritual cleansing. And this, this right here, this backdrop and this event, it takes us to the root of our consistent and our constant need for change in our lives. Because at the heart, at the root, the undercurrent of our consistent and constant need 
for change in our lives is us trying to deal with the reality that we're just like Naaman. That you and I, you and I are born with this spiritual leprosy. We're, we're born with this condition that we're consistently, constantly trying to deal with. That we're all born into sin. We're born with a spiritual leprosy. And I, Seth, I think, I think that Dr. Naus was right. I, I think he was right that we are all trying to change ourselves. I just don't think he asked a deeper question of why. I, I don't think he gets to the undercurrent of why we are all consistently and constantly trying to change. I think Mark would say, Mark would say this consistent need to change is us trying to deal, us trying to deal with the hidden reality that we're all born Naamans, that we're all born into a spiritual reality, a spiritual leprosy. And I, and I know that there are uh, some of you in this room who just, uh, you, you don't believe in sin. You, you reject the category altogether. And that's okay. Here's what I would say. I, I would say, I would, I would say that you have to deal with the realities of life though, right? So whether it's Paris or Nigeria, you have to deal with the evil of the world. I've used this example several times. You're probably tired of it, but I'm going to use it again. If, we, uh, if I asked you, hey, hey raise your hand if, you're, if you've got a dysfunctional family. Here's my guess. Everyone in this room raises their hand except people with, with family in the room. Right? But listen, every one of us can look at our families and find dysfunction somewhere. It is a universal reality, and all I'm asking all I'm asking of you, if you outright reject the category, is to acknowledge that there's something universally off in the world, and if it's universally off, it might have a universal cause. That's all I'm asking you to acknowledge right now, is that it might have a universal cause. And this is what makes, knowing this, this is what makes what John did so incredible. Right? If, we, if we looked into the heart of John, and we look at the heart of John through the lens of his own spiritual leprosy, we're going to get right to the heart of what this text and what Mark would be calling us to today. What it is that Mark would long for and desire for us to live out today. Now, I've asked you uh, at members meeting, but I haven't done it here altogether. H how many of you guys, show of hands, uh, remember and know the show West Wing? Okay, that's an unacceptably low number of hands, all right? Next time I ask that, I want to see every hand in the room raised. You need to go home, get some Netflix, and then click on West Wing. First four seasons, after that, it went kind of sideways. But at least the first four seasons. And it's, I think, probably the greatest show of all time. Maybe not. Maybe Law & Order. I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not for here. And there's this scene where President Bartlett, the great President Bartlett, uh, is standing there with one of his staff members. And he... And he says to his staff member, he says, hey, man, you know the difference in you and me? I want to be the guy while you want to be the guy the guy counts on. See, he, here's what John did. John had every chance to be President Bartlett. Not in the show. But he had every chance to say, I'm the guy. He had every chance to say, I'm the guy the guy. I'm the religious leader you've been waiting for. I'm the guy that you've been waiting for. Get behind me and follow me. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He points to Jesus and says, he's the guy. He's the guy. He points 
to Jesus and says, he's the guy. See, if, if John were here right now, this is what I think he'd be saying to you. Maybe if you and John were, were I don't know, eating locusts and drinking some coffee together, this is what, <laughs> that's in verse 6, I didn't just make it up. All right. if, if you and John are sitting across a coffee table from one another, John would look you in the eye and say, hey man, hey, hey woman, you at some point, you've got to stop trying to be the President Bartlett of your own life, and you've got to start learning how to point yourself to Jesus. At some point, you've got to stop trying to fix everything in your life. You've got to stop trying to be the guy in your life, and you've got to start learning to point yourself to the guy. I think that's what he would say to you if you were sitting here. And when you do, when you do, when you learn change, when you learn to point yourself to Jesus, it changes the way you see the world. It changes the way you see your job. Right, listen, um, John the Baptist had a, a really small ministry budget. He ate locusts. It cost him to point people to Jesus. He could have embraced being our first celebrity preacher and said, come follow me. It would have been much easier for him. But it cost him to point people to Jesus, and he did. And he would ask you, are you willing? Like There, there could be a day. There could be a day where it costs you professionally to follow Jesus. And he would ask you, are you willing? Are you willing to follow him even if it costs you? It changes the way that we see parenting in our homes. I have three kids and I, I love them. And there is a distinction. There is a sharp distinction between making disciples of ourself and making disciples of Jesus in our kids. All right, so making a disciple of myself, that's, um, I played football, which I didn't, but I played football. And so my son will play football. I'm artistic. So my child will be artistic. I went to A&M so my child will whoop in public. Not acceptable, whoever that was over here. Not anti-A&M, just whooping. Right. So when we, when we embark on making disciples of ourselves in our kids, here's what happens. We, we feel this, this shame that comes over us when our kids are misbehaving in public. Right? And if it's not shame... Or to deal with the shame, we, we start justifying what our kids are doing, right? So for me and my son in particular, uh, my daughter, she's a rule follower. Uh, she's got her own sin issues, but it doesn't shame me in public. My son, not so much a rule follower. And, and, and it's easy for me to justify what my son is doing. It's easy for me to say, oh, he's just tired. He's just tired. That's why he's being like that. Well, he, he might be tired. I only let him sleep every three days. So he might be tired. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> but it might just be that he's just being disobedient. And he needs me to love me enough to discipline him. That might be what's happening. It's easy to justify our kids when we feel shame over what they're doing. And the root of this is making disciples of ourselves. And there's this freedom that comes from not having to have the perfect children and not having to be the perfect parents, being able to entrust them 
to the Father, knowing that they do have a perfect Father who had a perfect Son. And my job in my kid's life is to point, is to be their John the Baptist, to point them to Jesus, and to beg the Spirit of God to inflame in them what Christ has done and what it is that I'm pointing them to. That's my role in their lives. And then it changes the way we see our parish, right? That our, our parishes um, can be about other people flourishing in Christ. That my parish, that's beginning this week, that I can't wait to be a part of, my parish can be, I can go uh, and I can gather with my parish and I can have coffee with my parish and I can go have dinner with people in my parish and it can be about them flourishing in Christ. And then those people in that parish can come into my parish and they can be part of my parish so that I can flourish in Christ. And that we've got this mutual submission where we learn to be John the Baptist for one another, pointing each other to Jesus. And this is where, right, this is where if you don't, if you don't believe Christianity, if you think we're a little crazy and a little silly, but you're curious, I, I would say, don't you want it to be true? Like, if this message of Christianity is this glue that binds us together, will we become this mutually serving people who are out to serve one another and build up one another? Wouldn't you want to be part of that kind of community? Listen, we don't, at Sojourn, we don't do it perfectly. Right? We, we don't do it even close to perfectly. Nor will we ever. But wouldn't you want to be a part of a community of people who strives for that? Wouldn't you? I do. But it's difficult the imperfection in us is because at our core, every one of us wants to be the Bartlett of our own life and not the John of our own life. Every one of us wants to control what's controlling us. Right? We know that we're gripped by this longing for change. We know we're consumed by it. We might know the root of it. We might know at its core, it's us dealing with this Naaman inside of us. And we try to control what's controlling us because we think that we can just get over on it. Right, I've got this addiction, I've got this, this thing that's just got a hold of my ankles, and I think I can just, can just grip down tight and I can finally get over it. I can finally control it, and it doesn't work. And so we try something else, and, and then we, we, we've got this anxiety in us, or we've got this fear in us, or we've, we've got this laziness in us, and we just think, man, this is the year it's going to change, and then it doesn't change. This is us trying to be Bartlett of our own life. And so I think it's a fair question that as we sit around and we look and we look in the mirror and we go, is my life ever going to change? I think it's a fair question to say, is it even possible? And I'm going to say the answer is yes, and it's yes through the paradox of change. Look at verse 9. In those days, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. All right, now, now the answer to the question, is change possible? It's found in a link, this little link, this hidden, subtle link between verse 4 and verse 9. It's this word into. All right, it's not in the English translation, but it's this word that means into that's in both 4 and 9. It kind of flags one another. It's the only two times in this section that Mark uses it. And so if I could give you a literal translation of verse 4 and 9, it would say this, that it was a baptism, verse 4, of repentance into forgiveness of sins. And then verse 9, that Jesus was baptized into the Jordan by John. And that Jesus was, here's the link, that Jesus was baptized into the forgiveness of sins. 
that Jesus was baptized into the forgiveness of sins, that into this cleansing from spiritual leprosy. But, this is a huge but, but Jesus had no sin. Jesus had no spiritual leprosy to deal with. So what in the world was he doing getting baptized? The answer, I think, becomes clear in Mark 10. In Mark 10, there's these two disciples, and they come to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, basically, here's the deal, man. I'm going to need you to do for me whatever I ask you to do, right, which is bold in light of, you know, created the world and all of that. And so, which is also how my three-year-old talks to me. But they come to him and they say, hey, we, we need you to do for me what, whatever we want you to do. And this is how Jesus answers. In verse 38, he says, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with a baptismum? The baptismum, that's not a word for the record. The baptism with which I am baptized. Now the I am baptized, is that present or past tense? I'll answer, it's present. See, he wasn't just talking about the Jordan when he talked about his baptism here. He wasn't talking just about something that happened but something that's happening. And what's happening? Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That when we put the pieces together, this is what one brilliant theologian said. He said, this event, this is what, This is what if I stopped and prayed right now, I'd be praying that you hear and receive and it washes over you. At this event, Mark Jesus' baptismal birth in the Jordan and his baptismal death in the cross. And Jesus' baptism was both a fulfillment and a foreshadow. It was a fulfillment in that it looked back to Naaman. It looked back to Naaman and it said, hey, hey, hey the, the true Jordan is here. The true place of spiritual cleansing is here. The true Jordan has arrived. The place, the place in which cleansing flows is here. And it was a foreshadow and then it looked to the cross where Jesus, as he hung there, was baptized into the wrath of God. That the wrath of God was poured out over him and divine punishment was dealt with. See, on the cross, a change took place. A real change took place. And he who had no spiritual leprosy became spiritual leprosy so that we who are born into spiritual leprosy could be redeemed from our spiritual leprosy. This is he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. This is the change that took place on the cross. And it's how I know, it's how I can look you in the eye. It's how I can stand right here behind this wooden podium. I can look you in the eye and I can tell you that real and lasting change in your life is possible. And when you sit there and you just say, man, I, it's just really not. Like I've tried, man, I've tried. I've tried, listen, my marriage, you just don't know, man. My job, am I ever going to find one? This gripping 
addiction. I've got this addiction in my life that no one in this room knows about. And I've had it for years, Brandon, and it's never going away. I can look you in the eye and tell you that healing is possible, that change is possible, that it's possible to stop being the Bartlett of your own life and to enter into the paradox, enter into the man who was changed on the cross so that you could become like him, that he became like you so that you could become like him. And in doing so, he dealt with the root of your addictions. He dealt with the root of your marital strife. Real and lasting change is possible. It's possible. It's possible through the paradox of change that becomes the power to change in verse 8. Verse 8, it says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, that when you believe, when you believe, when you, when you open up your life and you open up your heart to Jesus, you are baptized into, you are immersed in, you are covered in, covered by the Spirit of God. And when your life is covered by the Spirit, he, here's what happens. And I, I can't say it better, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says, the Spirit leads people into the infinite divine spiritual resources. That baptism with water had essentially a negative significance. It was a cleansing from. But, but baptism with the Spirit is positive. It is a bestowal. Listen. It is a bestowal of new life in God. See, when you, when you are redeemed, when you open up your life and open up your heart to Jesus, and when you're baptized into the Spirit, when you're baptized into Jesus, you have both a life that you have been saved from and a life that you've been saved to, that you've been saved from a former life, and you've been saved to a new life, a new life in which you can stop trying to manufacture change, and you can lay your life bare to the one who has changed for you. It's a new life where true and lasting change is possible. It's possible. So how? How, 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 do you, how do you get this lasting change in your life? Here's how. By the Spirit, you step into the Jordan. By the Spirit, you get in the river. By the Spirit, you step into Jesus. You step in. You enter in. And in the river, in the place, in Jesus, where true and lasting change flows, real and lasting change becomes possible. That when you're changed, you're changed by Jesus, for Jesus. You have not just his life on earth where he lived for you, but you have his heavenly life now where he lives for you. That Ephesians 1-3 becomes true for you. That in Christ we have the all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places you get the heavenly life of Jesus now. He interceded for you, and he is interceding for you. True and lasting change comes through the life of Christ. And when you see this, it changes the way you see change. You see, Jesus, so Jesus didn't have, uh, that I know of, New Year's resolutions. He didn't juice. 
But Jesus had an eternal resolution. He had an eternal resolution. The glory of the Father and the redemption of a people. And when we step in, when we step into the river, when we get into Jesus, here's what happens. All of our changing, all of our efforts to change become about us bringing our life in line with the life of Jesus. It becomes about us bringing our life in line with Jesus' eternal revolution, resolution. And so I told you I was going to come back to the building. And here I am back at the building. In 2008, Sojourn Heights didn't exist. In 2009, this group of people moved into the neighborhood and began our first parish. And then in 2010, we began holding our first Sunday gatherings. And we gathered on Sundays, on day one, at Sojourn, not that Sojourn, at Heights Church of Christ at 16th and Heights Boulevard. Listen, for, for two months, here's what's happening. Starting February the 8th, for two months, God is by his grace allowing us to go back to where it began, that he would remind us of why we're here. He would remind us that we are not a building. And I, I love our building. We have a sweet setup here. I can't wait. And I'm incredibly grateful for your generosity and our ability to both fund new churches and to renovate our building. I love the children's space we're going to have, the office setup we're going to have, the gallery we're going to have. It's going to be awesome. But we are not a building. We are a people. We are a people who have been changed by Jesus for Jesus. We are a people who have been called together, who have been changed, transformed, redeemed by Jesus, and called together to live out Jesus' eternal resolution in the heights and in Houston that we would be a people captivated by the pursuit of the glory of the Father and the redemption of a people. We are being allowed a gracious reminder that we wouldn't get settled in into misunderstanding who we are, but we'd be reminded that where we gather, we are. And that we are a people who gather together to collectively, corporately live out Jesus' eternal resolution. And by the Lord's grace, and by the Lord's grace, we would continue to be a people who say to everyone in this room and everyone in our city, jump in the river. Plenty of room in the river for you. No matter your background, no matter your past, no matter where you came from, no matter what that addiction is in your life, there's plenty of room in the river for you. Just step in.